This is episode 11 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm Anna Holden, a professional intuitive and energy healer. I help highly sensitive people dig into the shadows of their soul to access their gifts, reclaim their purpose, and get intimate with their ultimate truth. I also teach intuitive development and mentor emerging healers through my Sacred Rebellion programs. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Anna, and today will just be me. So what I've decided to do as I continue forward in this podcast is to sprinkle a bit more of um, my own stories and answer questions as they come in. Uh, And I have been listening to a few podcasts out in the internets uh, from other intuitives that I look up to, and something that I really enjoy what they do is when they talk about what they do uh, on a day-to-day basis and kind of how they got to where they are. And I think that this is a really important um, topic for, for highly sensitive people because one of the things that I hear a lot is that you know, we feel like we're alone, we feel like we're really weird or we're not doing it right. Um, and so I, I want to start to normalize what it means to be highly sensitive and to use those gifts in our own unique ways. Before we jump into that, though, I want to thank my newest Patreon supporter, Jeff. Uh, I'm so appreciative for all of you who support the podcast, uh, because when you do, I know that um, you like the podcast and you want it to continue. So if you are out there enjoying this, I hope that you'll jump over to my Patreon page. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's patreon.com forward slash sensitivity uncensored and support at any level that works for you. For the first 10 of you who uh, get uh, throw a donation my way, I'll give you a free 15 minute reading. And today I'm going to be talking about what it actually means when I do a reading. I thought I'd start off by telling you what a day looks like in my world. Um, I've been listening to, like I said, some podcasts by intuitives who seem to live lives that are a lot simpler than mine. (laughs) And when I say simpler, I mean, it doesn't seem like um, they are are partnered or their their partners are... um, living a a similar spiritual life, um, and they don't seem to have kids. Just the ones that I'm listening to. I mean, some of them that I listen to have kids. But so I I think that it's pretty easy to imagine that the people who we look up to in terms of spiritual awareness or spiritual guidance 
live really perfect spiritual lives. And I just want to debunk that myth. (laughs) So a general day for me um, actually kind of starts when I go to sleep with a prayer. And my prayer is that my son does not wake me up in the middle of the night. (laughs) Um, But in all seriousness, um, my son is one. uh, He's 15 months old as I'm, oh gosh, 16 months old as I'm recording this. And he's still in the habit of waking up uh, one or two times a night, uh, usually because he's hungry or he says he's hungry. And so if it's my turn, I take turns with my my husband, then, you know, I'm up making him a bottle in the middle of the night Um, and hoping I go back to sleep and can get uh, a few hours, at least four hours uh, strung together so that I'm not running on um, adrenaline the next day. And usually that happens. Usually I am I am well slept. And so then I get up at about between 6 and 6.30 because my son is an early riser and it's my duty to be mommy in the morning. Um, and so my morning usually consists of drinking a cup of coffee while my son turns on uh, every bit of music or anything that plays music in the house uh, because he loves to dance. So we dance. So I get some dancing time in the morning. I usually read six or eight hundred books to him, and I sit on the kitchen floor and hold a bowl of oatmeal for him to come and take bites while he um, takes everything out of the cupboards. And then we usually get ready. I shower while I try to make sure he doesn't um, flush anything down the toilet um, at, or open the shower door while I'm showering. Um, Uh, you know, get ready and then get him ready for daycare. And that is my morning. It is not a perfect wake up with the the birds singing kind of morning. Um, It's a a full morning. It's a beautiful kind of morning. Uh, It's not the peaceful kind of morning that I used to enjoy before I had kids. It's full and it feels a bit chaotic to me. After that is when I come back and start my work. All right, and so my my work on any given day um, can be a little bit different um, because running a business requires lots of things. But the bulk of my work is in giving intuitive readings and teaching intuitive development. And I realized recently that if you go to my website and you look at Sensitivity Uncensored, There's a lot, I've I've created a lot of content around um, sensitivity, which, yay, that's great. And when you go to my Work Together page, it's fairly unclear how I'm working with you, um, other than it looks like some form of coaching. So I realize I need to get more more clear, and that is is coming. I'm doing some website revisions um, in the background, but I am an intuitive And more specifically, I'm a clairvoyant intuitive. Um, I also have a lot of claircognizance and clairsentience, but the main way that I work with you is through my clairvoyance. And clairvoyance is uh, an intuitive ability to be able to see the energy body, to see the energy blueprint of what is happening within our, with kind of inside of our physical reality. 
So it's a way that I have the opportunity to act as like an interpreter between you and your soul. And the reason that I uh, focus this work towards highly sensitive individuals is because, I mean, I've always found this work to be effective, but it wasn't until I started not only attracting highly sensitive people, but working more and more with highly sensitive people that I realized that this work really, really stuck and really, really made sense for highly sensitive people. So in general, intuitive work is working with the subtle body, right? So we have our physical body and there are lots of practitioners who work, who work with the physical body. Um, but then we have the subtle body and you know the subtle body contains our beliefs and our thoughts and the, um, the energetic history of our lives and lives beyond that. And uh, in an intuitive reading, I'm able to tap into that field, to that blueprint, to address the roots of issues that you bring to me. So in an intuitive reading, I explain it oftentimes to clients like I'm going into the library of who they are. And so it's really helpful if I have a section that I'm being directed to. So am I going into the relationship section or am I going into the career section or the life purpose section? And once I you know, know where I'm going, then it can be pretty easy to be able to get information about what it is that um, you want. And I think that, you know, after I, so I've been doing this for, um, I think I'm in my fifth year at Open as a Business. I've been reading since 2009, but um, I've been in, in business professionally for five years. And the biggest thing that I get from clients um, or that clients get from intuitive readings is this sense of recognition and relief. It's this feeling like somebody else finally sees you. You know, all of those, you know, deep truths and knowings, knowingnesses that you've had under the surface, it's like somebody is finally able to acknowledge those. And that was definitely the sense that I had when I received my very, very first reading. So here's where a personal story is going to come in. So when I was, oh gosh, how old was I? 20 years old, I was in the middle of completing my bachelor's degree at the University of Montana in Missoula. Um, and I'd done some really, really fun experiential learning. Um, and I was getting a degree in science, by the way. My, my bachelor's degree is in natural resources. Um, and I, you know, had met this guy. And, <laughs> and he had uh, moved to Colorado. And so I decided... Um, on a whim, I felt really strongly that I should move to Colorado and, and to um, put my school on hold for a semester or a year um, and see what happened. 
And it, this was one of the first times that I really broke all of the rules. Um, I, I've always been a rule follower, which I know seems weird if you're if you just know me through this podcast, but um, at this time in my life, I had I'd really done everything by the book, and so it was with great dismay to my family that I put my scholarships on hold, I put my schooling on hold, um, I said, hey, I'll be back in a year, and I trucked down to Colorado, and I lived in this little town um, south of Grand Junction called Montrose, And, you know, when I think back on it now, it was this place that really helped me solidify my sense of spirituality and start to build trust in my soul and and its uh, messages and, and the journey that it provided me. So I went down here based on instinct. And what's funny about it now is that at the time I was really in love and I thought that, you know, this was the person that I was going to spend the rest of my life with and, and all of that. But when I look back on it now, I don't even hardly remember my life with him. And I... And I, and, you know, and I still, I keep in contact with him. He's wonderful. I love him. Um, but what's interesting to me is the way that I seem to be drawn to that place for the people and the experiences that it gave me. So I get down to Colorado. I have, you know, no job. <laughs> I'm not in school. And so I've got to find, you know, something to do. And I'm driving around this little teeny town. I mean, there's nothing, there's like nothing there. There's two coffee shops and a Walmart. And um, my boyfriend was working, I, I think for State Fish and Wildlife, something like that. And so I, I kept, I, but as I drove up and down the main streets of this town, I saw this little sign and and of this cafe called the soul garden and the name obviously really spoke to me and so I just on a whim I walked in there and I think I ordered some soup or you know I don't really remember but I do remember meeting the woman at the counter Um, her name was Heidi and I just became really friendly with her and we got to talking and it turns out she needed someone to cook for her and to help to help cook in this small cafe and so long story short I got the job um I this was um I've done a lot of cooking in my um uh, in my days of, you know, really scrapping around <laughs> and I, you know, and I love, I love cooking. Um, and this was one of the first times that I got to really, um, like lead the show in terms of cooking and, um, make the menu and all of that. So anywho, I started working at this, this cafe and turns out Heidi was in some of these, oh, kind of new age spirituality groups and, we just started talking about concepts, spiritual concepts that um, I maybe had heard before or she would bring up and I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, And 
I remember during that time, I started to become much more open. And I think part of the reason that was, it was because, you know, being around Heidi and, and in the soul garden where all of us, it was just women who worked there and we were having these soulful conversations. I noticed that I, I started to get more open, um, in my thinking. And one day I just had this, um, word pop into my head, which was Gaia. And it's, it kind of makes me embarrassed now because at the time I had never heard of Gaia, never heard of this name for the Earth Mother. I'd never heard of Gaia theory, um, you know, nothing like that. I, um, I'll tell this story another day, but I was raised in Utah um, in a very conservative area. And so there wasn't a lot of, of spiritual concepts floating around that were outside of uh, Mormonism or Christianity. And so I had no idea what this was. And so I, I took it to my friend and I said, do you know like what Gaia is? Like, what is this thing Gaia? Um, and, and, I, and I didn't know how to spell it, you know, and I, I think I spelled it with a Y or something like that. <laughs> she was like, oh, well, you know, Gaia is like one of the names of the goddess and earth mother and you know blah 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 and I was just I was just like blown away and I had this really deep sense of knowing within me and I should probably back up and explain that at this time you know I was again I was about 20 years old I was I had been a spiritual seeker for a long time so part of my identity growing up in Utah was that I was a non-Mormon within this Mormon world but I had a really great desire to understand or to um, experience a sense of spiritual place and a sense of connection with something greater than me. And I, 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 through all of my, my growing up and trying different churches and things in, in Utah, I never found that. It just never, nothing ever sat with me. So Part of working at the Soul Garden was that we'd have these just wonderfully spiritual people who would come in and who Heidi knew through various um, activities and groups that she was in. And so I started meeting and becoming friends with the most wonderful people who really changed the course of my life. I think it was at this time when I started reading books by Carolyn Nice, who, it's just, it's kind of funny because I think that the book, the first book that I read of hers, Anatomy of the Spirit, um, was actually in my boyfriend's mother's house. And I, I picked it off of her bookshelf and she was like, oh, you can just like take that book. I still have it to this day. So, um... <laughs> I fell in love with it. She let me have it. So, you know, it's just funny, you know, trusting instinct, even if you, um, you know, my instinct to trust that I needed to move to Colorado with this, with this guy who I thought I was going to marry, but didn't end up marrying still became a life changing experience for me. So I'm, I'm starting to read Carolyn Mice. I'm starting to, um, have, conversations, spiritual conversations with the women that I work with. And then I'm starting to meet, um, I met two intuitives 
who uh, were friends of, of Heidi and who came into the Soul Garden. Um, one of them, I think her name was Marilyn, and the other's name was Esther. And, um, and they both had huge influences in my life. So the first reading I ever got was with this, with this Marilyn. And I remember that I'd scheduled it for this, uh, an evening. And that evening, a snowstorm came in. And that day at lunch, she came into the, um, the cafe and she said, you know, I, I live out in the country. I don't think I'm going to be able to do your reading. And something inside of me just was so, I was so disappointed. I was so sad. I'd really, really been looking forward to this reading and, and really had no idea what to expect at this point. Um, but something inside me was just so disappointed. And as a people pleaser, you know, I just said, um, okay, well, you know, whatever you need to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she just kind of cocked her head to the side and she was like, okay, you know, I, th I think you really need this information. So um, let's just go ahead and do it. And, you know, I remember, I don't remember where we met, but we met in a blizzard. And as she sat down with me, one of the first things she said once she connected to me was like, wow, you really need this information now. You've been waiting for it for a really long time. Um, and just that acknowledgement, that validation was so affirming for me. And the contents of the reading, you know, this is so long ago. It's almost 20 years ago now. Okay, that's not true. It's only 14 years ago. <laughs> I'm not quite as old. Wait, no, 16 years ago. Yeah, so... Anywho, I don't remember the full contents of the reading. What I do remember was, you know, I'd started to create this story in my head that I didn't belong on this planet. Um, and I just had this sense that, like, I came to this planet with like a different set of operating instructions than everyone else. I had had this really strong connection to the earth for as long as I can remember. Um, when I, I, I had these memories when I was three and four, and I know this because my family moved to a different home when I turned, um, right before I turned five, and I would go out in the early morning in this, I had this red velvet robe and these Burton Ernie slippers. And I would go out into the garden in the summer because we had these really big flowers there. And I would, um, there were little beings that I would talk to, little fairies or, or something. And I would just kind of go and sit with them. And it, it, it felt like I had my, my people, even though they weren't people. And I understand how this sounds. But so, you know, I'd had this, this sense as, as a child of connection. And then as I got older, I increasingly had this sense of disconnection as I watched, you know, friends around me just so uncaring about the earth. And I, I felt I would get like really personally upset when people would litter like it really, really bothered me. It really struck me deep. And um, 
I, my mom took me to SeaWorld when I was seven. And I don't remember this, but she said I cried the whole time because I could not handle seeing the animals, the sea animals caged up like that. Um, and so she, she never took me to a, <laughs> to an aquarium or anything like that again. And I still have, I kind of have a hard time with those. But anyhow, I'd created this story and I hadn't really told anyone this story. I mean, I was still like a, uh, just seeking for myself a sense of place within spirituality. And although I don't remember the contents of her reading specifically, the main thing I remember is that she said, oh, well, Gaia is trying to communicate with you because you are one of hers. And there was such I felt such a relief and such a validation in that statement because for the last oh five or six years, I had been trying so hard, just like so fervently to connect with, you know, God as he was depicted in um, the Mormon and Christian communities as this is this, you know, bearded man, you know, Jesus, and, and I have no problems with, with God or, or Jesus being that for, for someone else. Um, but it was not, it was not a spirit, it was not an image that I could personally resonate with. And, and I'll, I'll talk more about this later, but I tried. <laughs> I, I really, really tried. And so it felt really affirming to have, you know, this word, this word Gaia pop into my head and then to receive this reading um, that seemed to affirm that. And so I would say that that was probably, that and the Carol in my book were, were probably my um, kind of gateways into doing what I do now. Um And then after that, I never received a reading from Marilyn again, but I received several from Esther over the years, and I absolutely loved her. She's passed now, but um, readings from her, she was who eventually, um, well, I asked her, like, hey, do you, you know, after years and years of receiving readings from her and, and taking some basic meditation courses, I said, hey, like, do you think that I could maybe do this? And she was kind of laughed. She was like, of course you could do this. You know, you're, you know, you're really tuned in. And I didn't believe her for a long time. Um, the other thing that, that was interesting to me was in reading um, Anatomy of the Spirit and feeling a sense of giddy excitement and recognition. So while the information of Carolyn's book was new to me, right, the information felt new, the energetic content of that information felt like remembrance to me. And, you know, again, my, my, the story was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to be able to do this. I want to be able to do this someday. Um, and even while I thought that, I really believed that it was out of reach. I really believed that you were either born seeing dead people 
<laughs> and could do magical stuff like this or that you couldn't. And that, and it was that black and white. And I really believed that for a, a lot of years. Um, I don't think it was until I was 25 or 26 that I actually started exploring things for myself. Guess where I'm going on this ramble? <laughs> Is that now, you know, as a 36-year-old, as a I'm doing this work that I once could only dream of as a 20-year-old. And I think part of part of why I'm talking about this is um, because one of the questions I get asked a lot is, how do you start to trust your intuition? How do you know that the information that you're getting is from your spirit or your soul or from source rather than like your ego? And I think, I think that there's a really complicated way to answer that, and I think that there's a simple way to answer that. And the simple way to answer that is they're different. The voices of the mind and the ego and the voices of the soul are different. Most basically, the way that I can tell them apart is which comes first, the instinct or the story, the nudge or the narrative. Because when the narrative comes first and then that creates a feeling within me, I know that that's my ego trying to stir up some shit. And that's not the place where I make good decisions from. Um, or make, you know, decisions that are really from, from the soul. And so I've learned that if the instinct comes first, if the nudge or the sensation comes first and the story comes second, or the story comes later, that's probably from the soul, from source, from spirit. Now, again, there are more complicated answers behind that, but I, th I think that it's important to stay simple um, when you're learning to trust your intuition. And, and by the way, this is what I do a lot in my work, is to help you be able to trust your intuition, right? And the, the very first way that you start to learn to trust your intuition in a, is within a reading uh, a reading with me where you're basically getting validated for everything that you knew you just didn't want to admit or you hadn't been able to admit that you knew it. So part of what an intuitive reading does is help connect the dots that your mind hadn't quite been able to connect yet for you. And so it can be extremely validating, particularly when you're in the middle of a big transition or um, you know, things are really, really shifting for you, um, to have someone else take a look at something. Um, another time that this can be really helpful is when you're really emotionally invested in the outcome. So another part of being able to trust your intuition is um, knowing how neutral you are to something. 
And this is something I teach in um, my school that's launching soon, the School for Sacred Rebellion. I'm currently beta in the last phase of beta testing the courses right now, um, but that I but that I go by within my work, um, which is that if you're not emotionally neutral to the outcome of a situation, it can be really difficult for you to intuitively um, see what's happening for you to, to be able to intuit the, the information of the energy correctly because you're invested, right? So whenever like I can't get neutral to something, I have somebody else look at it. And so that's where I can be really helpful to you is by, um, helping you, um, see, see things that you might be too close to, you might be too emotionally invested in to see. One of the things that I've seen a lot lately is this idea that that if we follow our intuition and we you know follow the calling of our soul and spirit then everything will turn out right and I put right in quotation marks and I think that the that the idea here is that things will be easy or more comfortable if you only um, follow the voice of your soul. And so I get um, clients who get really upset because they feel like they've listened to all of the signs, but they're in a really, really uncomfortable place. And I think the thing to remember when trusting your intuition and you know learning to find your truth and to trust that truth is that your soul and spirit and source all operate without bodies, right? They, you know, the soul is part of what, you know, is, is you. So it's, it, um, it owns a body, right? It has a body, but the way that it creates and manifests is not necessarily with emotions or the physical limitations of the body and mind, so when we set out to create an outcome for ourselves or we set out to create a learning um, opportunity, either on the physical level or the soul level, we might not create that in a way that's comfortable. In fact, you know, when, when did you actually learn the most? Was it when everything was going really, really well for you and everything felt easy? Or, you know, was it when, when you when you were in some emotional or physical turmoil. So if you really are, you know, on the spiritual path of learning to find and and trust your spirit, your soul, and the information that it provides, it's really helpful to know that that doesn't mean it's going to lead you into um, the calm water every day. It might mean that it's going to require you to paddle out past the breakers and get thrown around a little bit. It might require that you uh, learn to surf. It might require that you learn to um, be in really rough water and wait for the storm to pass. So I I think that it's important that, you know, um, when you're trusting learning to trust the sense of intuition, intuition that you are, are aware that uh, listening to the voice of the soul and having, the, having your life be really, really calm all the time is, is kind of an oxymoron, right? It, it's when we listen to the ego that, 
that things stay the same, that the status quo stays the same. Now, it might not be, you know, it could be the case that our ego status is not comfortable, but, I mean, that's kind of what the ego is there to do is maintain the status quo. The difficulty, though, I think with learning this lesson is that we, we usually aren't learning it while, while it's happening. It's only when we can look back and go, oh, that's why that needed to happen. It wasn't for that original reason, right? It's only then that we can kind of put the pieces together for ourselves. You know, I think Pema Chodron says this really well when she says that a spiritual path is like riding a train facing backwards. You can only see the landscape as you pass it. And, you know, when I look back on those years in Colorado, I mean, it was really only, I think, not even a full year. It seems like it was like three. But anywho, um, what I see now is like, oh, those were very formative to my understanding of spirit, my understanding of spiritual mechanics, and, and really important in introducing me to the people that I needed to be introduced to in my life to create this, you know, a spiritual foundation to me that felt actually like it was mine. Um, But remember, when I went down there, I thought I was going because I thought I was going to marry this man. So that lesson really taught me the um, the lesson of being able to trust the intuitive hits, um, even if I'm wrong, you know, even if my ego is wrong about the reasoning behind them. <laughs> What's kind of funny about about my story, or this isn't funny really, but is eventually we had to move out of Colorado. This man and I. Um, his job ended and, you know, we had to go do something else. And so we actually ended up moving back to Utah with my parents for a few months before we went back to Montana and I continued school. And as soon as we moved out of Colorado, things really fell apart for us. Like really fell apart. And I was so young, you know, I think I was, what, 21 then, you know, and had had gotten in so deep that I didn't know how to get out. And so I was in an, an incredible amount of emotional and relationship turmoil um, for, I, I think I stayed for a whole other year, um, even though, even though um, I was not, you know, my heart was not in it. I had to figure out, like, you know, those physical, emotional logistics of, you know, how to get out of an un- unhappy, unfulfilling relationship, which was a, you know, a whole, a whole other story. But when I came back to Montana um, and was in school, I had a, a renewed sense of direction in my life. And, you know, the other thing that I'll mention um, before I f- wind this up is, and, and I'll answer this question a little bit more fully, but someone asked me if I'd always been a strong, sensitive person. And, and I, <laughs> I, when I uh, saw that, I, I laughed a little bit because, um, no, like, no, I, no, not, not at all. When I was young, I was uh, sensitive and very, very fragile. Um, 
and and I say fragile in that I was just I didn't know how to handle big emotions and so I uh, and I didn't know how to handle being an empath so besides being sensitive I'm also an empath I can feel what other people are feeling and um, that was really uh, challenging for me in elementary school so I was the kid that when someone else was sick I went home sick too um, when someone else got really embarrassed, like through wetting their pants or something, I went home because I couldn't handle, you know, all those emotions. And of course I'd get home and then I'd feel fine because I wasn't around it anymore. Um, but no, um, when I was young, I was fragile. And then, um, and I'll talk about this later too. I developed a really fragile sense of self-esteem too. I never really felt like I fit in. And so I was really looking externally for, for sense of validation. And so that combination, um, was, was, you know, definitely detrimental. Um, even though I think it all serves a purpose, uh, it created a lot of challenge for me. And I would say that I started overcompensating for my sensitivity. So overcompensating is when we recognize that we're sensitive, but we don't want to be. And so we, we put different um, strategies into place to make it seem like we're not very sensitive. So my strategy was to become very perfect in order to avoid any sort of criticism. And I, my other strategy that I now recognize was to become um, very physically fit and having a really high, um, like high physical capabilities. So I, um, here's another story, but I, I had an eating disorder in high school. Um, but then through that, I, you know, I decided I just wanted to be really, really strong. And so I was on the, the university cycling team and in graduate school I was on the triathlon team and I was, you know, I, I got up at 6.30 and ran every morning or biked or, um, you know, I climbed three times a week. Like I, I was really, really physical and I recognize now that um, all of that physical activity was really to distract me from the the sensitivity and the vulnerability that I wasn't um, really wanting to face. So was I always sensitive and strong? No, I'd say that at different times I was sensitive. Well, I was always sensitive and I was really good at pretending that I was strong. Um, and so the difference now is that I accept my sensitivity. I accept, um, well, I accept as much vulnerability as I've been able to unpack. Um, and I think I've done some work with that, but um, no, I haven't always been a strong, <laughs> sensitive person, and it's really taken um, accepting my sen sensitivity and learning to trust the wisdom of my intuition and my soul above, you know, everything else. So I hope you enjoyed this kind of rambling episode. So it's kind of part part story about how I got to where. I got to and there's there's more to the story and then also a bit of explanation about what I do in sessions with folks and how I how I do that and there is more to what I do I, I can talk to spirit guides I'm also a medical intuitive but um, but the but I've kind of given you the basics about what a session looks like for me what my day looks like and how I got to where I'm at so 
As always, feel free to email me about any questions or comments that you have here. And if you are interested in learning to trust your intuition or learning the tools that helps um, you develop your own intuitive gifts, uh, even if you're, you're not sure you have them, I think that we all have the ability to be intuitive, especially those of us who are highly sensitive um, and are more just naturally kind of in the subtle world. But anywho, if you're interested in that, I'm teaching the basic, the, the very basic tools. I think of them like kind of hygiene for the soul basic tools on how to get grounded, how to stay protected from outside energies, and how to um, basically set up really good energetic boundaries so that we can become more in line with our ultimate truth. And these are the, the basic tools that I practice every day. These are the tools that I start my readings with, that I prepare myself with. And these are the tools that I've taught in my sensitive self-defense and capability courses. So if you're interested in this, I teach these as a regular part of the Refuge for Sacred Rebellion. I believe that these basic tools for learning to trust ourselves are so important that we all need them. So I, I used to put this in like a, a, you know, like a formal course, right? And I've decided not to do that anymore. I've decided to make them more accessible. So if you join the Refuge for Sacred Rebellion, which is my membership group, you get led through the five-week course twice a year. So you get to learn the basic tools and you get refreshed on those basic tools. And then should you want to go forward with more intuitive development, that's coming next in the, the School for Sacred Rebellion, which I am uh, developing right now and should launch um, sometime late this year, uh, maybe next year, we'll see exactly. Um, but that is coming too. And you can find more about The Refuge if you go to my website, www.sensitivityuncensored forward slash refuge dash sacred dash rebellion. If you like this podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe, rate the podcast, leave me a review. It'll help get this podcast in front of more eyeballs. And if you really like the show and want to see it continue, I'd love to see your support on Patreon. I've still got spots for a free 15-minute reading with me uh, for the next nine people who sign up. All right. Hope you have a fabulous week, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.